He said I disagreed with him about. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we disagree. We just interpret things differently. That's, that's not a, about whether our emphasis has shifted from systematic theology to biblical theology, and um, and so we're in an interim period. Uh, Lee is uh, lobbying me and Jay very hard about uh, <laughs> to preach, and you heard that in the Sunday school. And we are listening, just so you know, we are listening. Mm -hmm. um, but we have an interim period, and so I, 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 I have to say I've reverted back uh, to, to an older sermon. Their time was limited this week. But it's one that I believe one of the foundational messages of Covenant Church. Um, it's from the book of Acts. The text comes from two different chapters in the book of Acts. And it's about the church in Antioch of, um, of Syria that uh, was so instrumental in the spread of the gospel. Um, so turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. I'll begin reading at verse 19 to the end of the, uh, to verse 26. And then chapter 13, I'll be reading verses 1 through 3. Give your attention to the word of God. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many of people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And then 13, 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a longtime friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them all. And may the Lord bless to our understanding the reading and our hearing is infallible in errant work. Amen. I um, almost called an audible earlier this morning, but I'm not, I'm not enough of an extemporaneous uh, preacher to do that uh, after I thought about the events of the historic ruling of Roe v. Wade, uh, overturning Roe v. Wade on, on um, 
driving back. And if you if you notice the uh, disjunction in the order of services, that's what happens when you do that when you're riding in a car with four people who are very engaged in the conversation. So uh, forgive that. The, um, the, but I, but as I as we went to General Assembly, I, I was thinking in advance of the General Assembly, and I was thinking in advance of our church and where we are. In addition to uh, in this whole scheme of things, in addition to the very excellent report and summary that Jay gave this morning in Sunday school, and in in the announcements, uh, uh, this church has been committed from its founding to the fidelity of adherence to the scripture in every aspect of life. And I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we have all grown in the years more deep, uh, uh, deep, more deeply into those first commitments that we had. And uh, I, I don't think that's an exaggeration at all. When you go to the book of Acts, you go to the very first uh, institution of the gospel among in the world after after years of it being um, somewhat veiled to the people of Israel only uh, it begins to spread out to the world and it's important in reading the book of Acts to understand how that went because there's a pattern that uh, is throughout the book of Acts uh, that actually we spoke of uh, last Sunday night when we read Romans 1. Uh, Romans 1 verse 16. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. That's God's order. And it's so explicit throughout this book and you see it here. That's why uh, we we were instrumental in bringing the, uh, the uh, International Ministry of Christian Witness to Israel with Stephen Atkinson here. That's why we'll be hosting David Zadok, uh, who is a Jewish uh, believer uh, in Israel, planting churches in Israel. We'll be bringing him the first week of September, so mark that on your calendar, uh, because it is God's order. And when we follow God's order, God's way, uh, God blesses uh, uh, that. He uses that to advance his kingdom. And we study the book of Acts not only because we're interested in the history of how God uh, expanded his church initially, we're also interested in how he did it and how it applies to us uh, presently. There, are, uh, there was a movement a number of years ago. They named it, they named him, it's no longer in effect, and mostly it is no longer in effect. It was called Acts 29. Now you might think, and I always thought that was a strange name because there are only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And to me, the very name uh, was, um, was telling. We're going to continue to do things uh, rather uh, on, uh, in a way that, uh, that says that God has somehow altered his uh, plan of operation to uh, the culture. And I believe many of the things that we're dealing with now are directly a result of some of uh, the things that occurred in that 
particular movement. Not to say there aren't many fine, uh, godly uh, believers who were involved in that, but I think they were mistaken. And we heard one of the uh, ruling elders uh, at, at our General Assembly get up and say just this. He said, we, we really are not an Acts 29 family of churches. We are an Acts 14 and 15. Because what happened as a result of the gospel going from the Jew first to the Gentiles were, was this great kerfuffle that resulted in the first General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. <laughs> Just kidding. But the principle of churches and elders coming from different places to represent and wrestle through problems did come, does come from Acts 14 and 15. So we don't want to be an Acts 29 church. We want to be an Acts 14 and 15 church that looks at issues that we are confronted with and we apply the scriptures to them. The church of Jesus, if you read the Bible from, uh, and, we, and we believe that the church is, it means the called out ones, and we believe the church consists uh, of the, uh, primarily of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And if you want to see, where is that in the Bible? Well, look, read Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. He refers to the church in the wilderness. You have, if, the, if the King James proper translation of his sermon, uh, you'll see that. The church, the people of God in the Old Testament uh, that God dealt with. You, you'll see that, that in Israel in, in the Old Testament was always set in the midst of enemies. And throughout, and the whole history of redemption is, is the hostility of the world to the church and so it continues in the new testament at the beginning of the new testament there is this hostility the church of, uh, has always been set in the midst of a hostile world we should not despair because the culture that we are in, in any, in any given time or any given place, is hostile to the message of the gospel. That's the lesson and the application from the book of Acts. I want to point you to just several points. It says I have four. I think I have five. But there, there again is... <laughs> result of the travel. Number one, what does that church look like? In Antioch, where the gospel began to spread among the Hellenists, among the Greeks, among the Gentiles, that church began to grow, and as a result of its growing, there was a strong commitment to the worship of God. It was while they were worshiping God, ministering, it says they were in, in um, verse um, um, two of thir 
13, chapter 2, one of the texts I read, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I called them to. That word worshiping there is our, uh, it is, uh, is, the, is from the, the uh, Greek word that we translate liturgy. The worship was structured. There was a form. There was a liturgy. They were, uh, they were engaged in the right way to worship God according to the means that we, uh, that he has ordained for us. In our particular church, that is our first priority. The gathered worship of God is our first priority on his day, the Lord's day, morning and evening. We seek to worship God according to the means that he has ordained. Our primary emphasis is not on entertaining or, or engaging. Our primary focus is not on that you enjoy the service. We certainly hope you do. But that is not our focus. Our focus is offering to God what belongs to him alone. Notice who they are ministering to. Who, uh, who they are serving. They are serving the Lord. They are focusing on him According to the ordinary means that he has ordained. What is worship? Our English word, worship, comes from two words, worth and ship, which, which uh, together mean to ascribe value to, to ascribe worth to. When you come to worship, according to God's means, that's what we're doing. We're saying, what is the most important thing in our life? It is our relationship with the living God. Now, worship, I, I would hasten to add, is not merely what we do on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. It, it's much more than that. It's what we do cumulatively through, throughout our week. The high point of our worship is the gathered worship of God's people. I, we're coming out of uh, a COVID. We have a brother here who's coming out of Canada. We've talked about Canada and the severe restrictions on worship that were imposed on, upon the churches. And we, we went through that. Many of you come from churches where you saw that at various degrees. And I, I, I really question uh, much of what was done because of the importance and the centrality of the gathered worship to God. And here is one place it is given uh, particular interest. And I, I'm not saying, oh, if you're, if you're uh, at risk, if you've got a health concern, we are all about protecting the vulnerable and protecting life. That is extremely important. And that's why we've invested heavily in, in the live stream and and there are people who simply can't, uh, 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 whose life will be at risk and simply are unable to gather for worship. And that has always been the case in the church. 
And so don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but do understand that worship should be uh, the gathered worship, should be the cumulative effect of all of our worship, our personal devotions where we spend time with God, our family time at our family altar where we gather our families and we pray together over meals and at other special times. Uh, we should have that central to our life culminating in the worship of God. And that is where God advances his kingdom. And his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things that is uh, always striking to me at our General Assembly is that we have uh, business stops. Part of the work of the General Assembly is gathered worship. And it is, uh, you walk, we walked into the first worship service and there were, there were probably 5,000 people. And when you walk into a worship service of five or 6,000 people gathered, focused on the praise of Almighty God, you start to get a little glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. Our worship, our gathered worship is practice for heaven. So we are a part of a church. One of the things that we do as a church that is primary is gather for worship to focus on the living God. And it is the example of the church from the beginning. Second, we have a strong commitment on the basis of worshiping the living God to outreach, to telling. Uh, we, it's not just that we we glory in the fact that God has redeemed us by his grace and called us to himself by the gospel, the glorious gospel that Jesus came to die for sinners and to take their place. We're not content just to have that for ourselves. We want others to know it. Now, if I had Paul and Barnabas in my congregation, I would be very reluctant to let those men go. Notice this about the church in Antioch. Their very best were sent to spread the gospel. And notice this as well. Paul, Paul wasn't sent right away. He was sent for further instruction and training and to get over what he used to do in persecuting the church before he was sent out. In chapter 11 and verse 20 and 21, we, we, we learn that some of them went and, and spoke to the Greeks. And the result was this dynamic church in Antioch. How did, how did they get to Antioch in the first place? Well, they wouldn't have gone unless they had been persecuted. They would have been very happy to stay in Jerusalem in the confines of Israel. But God in his providence, in his overruling Providence would not let them be comfortable in Jerusalem. And so the persecution arose, and by his providence, they went north to Antioch, where the Apostle Paul was nearby, and the church began to grow. And as a result of the success of the growth of the church among the Gentiles, they said, this is God's plan. They remembered the words of the Lord Jesus, no doubt, and his instruction in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. 
Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples by baptizing and teaching them everything that I have commanded, knowing that when you go in obedience to his command, that he will be with us even to the remotest parts of the earth. <coughs> Also know, in this commitment to reaching out, they did not rely on marketing strategies. They didn't, again, it, was, it, it wasn't very good entertainment. It wasn't a very um, polished presentation. It was simply proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Do we love God enough to proclaim that truth? Do we love our neighbor next door enough to proclaim that truth? Do we love the people in our family enough to tell them that truth? Do we love those we work with, those who are fellow students enough to tell them that great truth. This is the result of being built up and sent out. We have strong commitment. They had a strong commitment to the building up of the saints um, through these ordinary means of grace. Their gathering of worship was for the purpose to build up the faith of the believers in order that they might be equipped, in order to be sent out how was this done? Verse 26, 11 verse 26, by teaching the word of God. By exhorting, verse 27, by exhorting and persuading them to remain faithful to the Lord. To preach and teach God's word. To rightly administer the sacraments. Of baptism, which is a sign of admission to the visible church, and then to make disciples of believers and their children. This was the ordinary means of building up the church. This, I, I think I preached this sermon first time 35 years ago. In the midst, in, in the very fledgling time of the beginning of this church, we were very small, but we were we were very committed to to uh, these basic principles and um, and their application in life and and the presenting issue. For the Church of Jesus Christ, since before 1972, but certainly since 1972 in the Roe v. Wade decision, has been the issue of the right to life of the unborn. You know, that term right to life comes right, right from uh, our founding Declaration of Independence, 
we believe that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, which include the right to life. In, in reflecting on that, in the, the, um, this little church, some of you here are involved in member petitions for the unborn child amendment. We, uh, we, must, we, we did a lot of petitions for the unborn child amendment, and it seemed like that's all we did, but it led to a lot of opportunities to witness. Because there's nothing, we, we care about people, and we care about uh, people's lives. Building people up, we, we build people up and we thrust them out into the community in order that they might be able to minister the gospel of grace to others. If, if you're visiting today, uh, we, we want you to know really three things about, our, about us and our worship. Number one, we want you to know we love the Lord Jesus. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he, when we were still sinners, gave us the gift of salvation. We also want you to know that we love each other. And that this is our primary witness to the watching world. That's what Jesus said. This is this is the way the world's going to know that you love me is that you love one another. And we also want you to know, whatever condition you came in here today, we love you without condition, like He loved us. And we want you to know the truth. The purpose of our worship is first and foremost the glory of God and exalting Him. And then we and, and we we do that then by building up God's people. That's Ephesians 4 gives that outline. We we build people up with the word of God. We build people up with the right worship of God in order to equip you to be thrust out into the world, to be salt and light in this dark world we live in. Our job as ministers of the gospel is to equip the saints for you to do ministry, for you to serve the living God. Again, I come back to the importance of gathered worship. I think we did our series in Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, verse 23, 24, and 25, hit me like a ton of bricks. Let me just, let's just turn there. I'm going to read it again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. saving someone's life, by the way. Not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is a fact, it is a fact that many people have gotten out of the habit of gathering together for worship. The um, Gallup survey recently did, they, they did an extensive survey in the, US, in the United States, 26% of those who formerly attended worship, public gathering worship, no longer do so. It is not an option for a child of God to gather for worship. It is essential for your spiritual health, for your well-being, and for the advancement of the gospel. I'll stick another point in here. You might, if you, if you are keeping notes besides the outline, you've got the church in Antioch had a commitment to change. They weren't. They weren't wed to the seven last words of the church you know what those are we've, we've always but we've always done it that way when God gives us gifts we seek to employ them when he gives us resources we seek to employ them and sometimes that stretches us it, it's so easy to get into habits and we, we, con, we conformed our church habits a certain way uh, after um, the pandemic or during the pandemic and after the pandemic it's going to there's going to be uh, difficulty changing some things you see the first general assembly in Acts 15 that follows these chapters uh, came about of, of the change of the Gentile believers coming in and, and receiving the Lord and wanting to join the fellowship of the church, what do we require of them? Well, do they do they have to do like uh, the uh, Jewish converts of old? Do they have to be uh, the men have to be circumcised? Do the women have to be ceremonially washed? Do do they have to keep all the ritual kosher laws? Uh, do we force that on them? And so they had they gathered together and they deliberated uh, about what that meant. And they were willing to do the work necessary to not only deliberate, but to implement what God revealed through their deliberations. And then finally, this church demonstrated a commitment to sacrificial uh, giving. I, I think it's going. I think that total is going to be more. Because I think I think there are other contributions coming in about uh, loving choices, but that's a, that is an example. When they saw a need, they met the need. Um, the uh, statement Jay read earlier. You have that. You have that statement handy. I'm gonna read it again. Jay read it earlier in his report. It was so excellent. Thank you. 
solution. <laughs> it is truly, to illustrate the point, Jay made it earlier in his report, Thursday, we unanimously passed this resolution. In the overtures committee where Jay was, there was, uh, there, there, it came up. One man wanted to amend it, or, or, or speaking answer to the, in the negative because it wasn't precise enough. And he moved that. And in the Presbyterian Church, if you don't get a second, nothing advances. 120 plus, yeah, more than that. There was no second. It wasn't even a matter of discussion. We who love our nation. In the name of God, who alone is sovereign, call upon you to renounce the sin of abortion, to repent of the complicity in the mass slaughter of innocent unborn children who are persons in the sight of God, and to reverse the ruinous direction of both law and practice in this area. That was Thursday. And we had the joyous news of Rome being reversed Friday morning. We are called to speak the truth. We're not, we're not called to run the government unless you are called as an official or, or uh, uh, a um, representative. We all, though, are called to pray for our government and to have our government represent us. Um, this is what God does through the transformation of the gospel. The reason we're seeing, seeing a tide change, I'm convinced, is because of the movement of the Holy Spirit. One of our venerable uh, saints got up to speak, Dr. O. Palmer Robertson, who wrote this marvelous book called Christ and the Covenants. And he got up and spoke uh, so powerfully and so eloquently against the sin of the day and I'm convinced that his speech, along with our own ruling elder Jeff Tuning's speech, uh, carried the day for the vote uh, that was made. But he used the analogy of the tide. And I, I, I think that is the right analogy, the tide. There's a tide of culture. There's a tide of, 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 of belief and, and uh, action. And maybe, by God's grace, that tide will sh shift and it will change. Our young people are being swept away by the worst kinds of sin and degradation. It's being promoted and glorified by a culture, by a corporate culture and a, and a, and a government culture. All of our institutions that are so precious are pressing this wicked, vile agenda. And we must not be swept away in that tide. We must say, by God's grace, this far and no more. And this far is the gospel of Jesus.
the Apostle Paul in 11 chapters of the book of Romans, after he is equipped by the church in Antioch and, and uh, properly restored and discipled, he enters into ministry and he begins his exciting ministry there, uh, beginning there. And uh, God uses him to write the book of Romans. Eleven, first 11 chapters are him pounding the doctrines of grace, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and nothing else, and nothing should ever be added into, uh, to it. And, and then chapter 12, verse 1, he begins to apply the gospel. I urge you, therefore, then, by the mercy of God, to present yourselves as living sacrifices on the altar of God. The love of Jesus for sinners was that he gave his life. He went to hell on your behalf. The only proper response to that is to give your life to him wholeheartedly and completely and fully. I urge you to do that if you have not. Do it now. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your church that you called it out of darkness of this world into light through the power of Jesus. His perfect life, his sacrifice, of that life on our behalf. His death, his resurrection, and his ascension to your right hand. Thank you for his power. Thank you for his, his glory. Thank you for the Holy Spirit he sends to all who believe and trust in his name. Father, thank you for your marvelous provision of grace. Enable us by our grace to do what you call us to do for your kingdom. And we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.